that gets you fired up right there, man. I mean, I was fired up. Good morning, Bridge Church. I am so glad to be here with you, the, you guys this morning. Uh, Pastor Andrew has quit. Um, don't, don't, no, no. Please do not put that on social media. Um, he heard I was preaching uh, this morning and decided not to be here. So, um, no. Uh, he is enjoying the Sunday off, and uh, so you guys are stuck with me for the last uh, for the next little bit, and and I'm excited about that. And uh, I I don't know, you know, on one note, I don't know who does your normal announcements on Sunday morning, but they better watch out, amen, because that was pretty good right there. I don't know who does it normally, but uh, yeah, thank you, babe. That was my wife, by the way. I can call her babe. Um, so anyway. Uh, as she mentioned, you know, last Sunday, big Sunday for us, Baptism Sunday, man, four people got baptized, water baptized here, and what a moment, I mean, what a moving moment when we started singing. Uh, I mean, I just love what we do and how we celebrate that next step, because that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we do what we do, is for life change to be taking place in this community, and with 27 people Lives are going to be changed in, uh, church-wide. In all four locations, 27 people water baptized last week. It is an awesome celebration. Praise God for that. Well, I am going to jump right in because I have got a lot of material to cover today. And I know uh, everyone will, is anxious to get, get out of here and go watch the Daytona 500 today. Yes. But uh, I will tell you this. We've been in this sermon series called Nope, Not Today. Satan, and we've been talking about really kind of pushing back on the schemes of the devil. You know, what the devil is at war. There's a war that we're in. Now, this is not necessarily a fight like we were seeing on the screen there that got me kind of fired up. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle against the, the, the darkness, right? And we've, we've, in the last couple of weeks, we've started kind of de defining some characteristics, defining some things that we, we now believe and we believe 100% are true. Number one, we said that Satan is a decided fact, right? We said that in the last couple of weeks, and it's a we all agree that it is a decided, Satan is a decided fact. He's not just a symbol of evil. He is evil, and he is present. He is a destructive force, right? We know that his mission is to destroy. That's what he's here to do is destroy. But the good news is, is we know the third one, and he is a defeated foe. We know how the story ends. We know where the victory truly lies. The last several weeks, we've been kind of covering these areas of, of tools, of, of schemes, of, of weapons that Satan used. Those weapons, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In other words, we've talked about the pleasures, and we're going to be talking about the possessions, and then we're going to talk about next week the position. But we've been studying, and last week Pastor Andrew covered Ephesians 6.13, and we all know that it says, take up the whole armor of God. So we can stand, withstand, and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, when we say put on the full armor of God, I don't know about you, but I kind of thought like, man, I need to get some armor, you know. But how many of you actually have a closet with armor in it? You know, probably not very many of us, right? So this armor that's talked about here in this verse, it says put on the full armor of God, right? So it's, it's God's armor. It's not ours. We don't own it. As a matter of fact, we really don't own anything. It's all His. 
Now, if you stand in front of your closet like I do, you may disagree with me. Now, I'll stand there and say, man, I don't have anything to wear. But I don't have an empty hanger either, right? I mean, the closet's slap full of stuff, and I'm standing there going, man, I just don't have anything. I don't have anything to wear. I, we have a lot of stuff, do we not? In America, we have a lot of stuff. So when we're talking about putting on that armor, it's God's armor. It's not ours. We don't really own anything. But in that regard, how much is enough? I mean, if you're like me, you know, that closet's packed full. The garage, we're not even going to talk about that. But the, the closet is packed full. But how much is enough? And I guess we need to answer that question before we answer the next question, that how much is too much? How much is too much stuff? I kind of want us to consider that question today. And, and, and I mean, how many of you have gone to your favorite big box discount outlet depot and walked around aimlessly or intently uh, looking for something to buy that you didn't even know you were there to buy? You, you go into the store, right? I mean, and, and if it's a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Bass Pro Shop, I mean, I will wander around looking for something that I don't even know I need. But I'm sure it's there. And as soon as I see it, buddy, I'm buying it. You know what I mean? And how about the end when you get, if you do navigate through the whole entire store, they force you to go out by the checkout counter, right? Where there's these end caps that have these neon lights that saying, hey, you need me. Buy me. Buy this. Buy this. And what do we do? It's like, man, I got to make this trip worthwhile. <laughs> I don't know. I don't need anything. Oh, wait a minute. That's something I could use right there, you know, and I'll buy it. It's impulsive buying, but we, it's a huge problem. And if that describes you, you probably have a problem like I do, but we will look for things even when we don't know we need anything or we went to the store with no intention of buying anything and walk out with a truckload. Let's face it. The problem really in this country is not how much stuff we have. It's how much our stuff has us. I'm on the verge, and I'm going, to be, I'm going to admit to you guys today that I'm on the verge of being a hoarder. Yes, uh, they have a TV show out now that they made uh, for my benefit. Um, but I've always been this way, that I'm always afraid that if I, if I get rid of something, and I'm talking about a 12-inch piece of 2 by 4 okay? And I cut, I'm building something, I got to, yeah, I can't throw that away. I'll just set it right here. And the next piece I cut off, I'll, I'll set it right here. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm almost a hoarder. But what happens is the next project comes along, and I need a 12-inch 2x4, but what do I do? <laughs> I go to the big box discount outlet store and buy me an 8-footer. Matter of fact, I'll get two of them just in case I need it, and I'll stack up five, six, eight more pieces of 12-inch 2x4. I just can't get rid of it. I'm afraid to get rid of it. <clears throat> we have too much stuff in this country I read an article this week, and it is staggering to me that according to a report in the Real Estate Journal, there are 48,500 self-storage facilities in America. This number was taken at the end of 2014. Six years ago, I guarantee this number has skyrocketed beyond. But here's the interesting thing. Here's the part that kind of made me a little sick to my stomach, is that that is more than all of the McDonald's and Starbucks combined. That's how many storage, self-storage facilities we have in the United States. More than all the McDonald's and all the Starbucks combined. This article was great, and it said that self-storage quote-unquote, warehouse for personal junk has become a 38 billion, with a B, 
dollar industry. $38 billion industry where one in 11 Americans, I love the way the word says, pays for space to store the material overflow of the American dream. Guilty. I have one. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I mean, we have so much stuff we can't even put in our houses. We have to buy space to store our stuff. Today, we are going to be focusing on the power of possessions. And really, we're going to focus in on materialism, but the power of possessions. And again, materialism really is not about how much stuff you have, but it's more about how much stuff, how much your stuff has you. The truth is, we are chasing the myth of more. We're chasing the myth of of more. Now, I had planned to, to show this video, and I, I, I couldn't get it done this time. Uh, we weren't able to, to play the video, but there's a commercial a couple years ago, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen the commercial. If you haven't, and you want to watch the commercial, AT&T commercial, We Want More, and just, it'll pop up there. You can watch the video, but this commercial starts out. I'm going to set the scene for you. This commercial starts off, this guy's in a suit, and he is sitting in a classroom, probably a kindergarten, first grade classroom. He's sitting on the floor, AT&T commercial, and there's a group of kids sitting in a circle like they would at any classroom. And he asks the simple question. He says, who thinks more is better than less? Immediately, all the hands go up in the air. And if I ask that question here today, many of you may shoot your hand up too, but these kids were really quick on, on the draw. He asks the question simply, you know, who thinks more is better than less? And boom, all of them raise their hand. And then he says, well, explain. And one little girl sitting there, cute as a button, she starts to explain how more is better than less. And she says, if there's more less stuff, you might want to have more. And your parents won't let you because they'll, there's only a little, but you really like it and you want more. We want more. We want more. Have you guys seen the commercial? Come on, help me out. Anybody seen the commercial? It's great. Go look, uh, look it up. It's a great commercial. But the point of the commercial is out of the mouths of babes, these kids are asked, what's better, more or less? And the kids immediately say, we want more. The tagline in that commercial kind of says a lot about our society and our world today. The tagline at the very end of the commercial said, it's not complicated. More is better than less. AT&T. That was your commercial. <laughs> so I'm telling you, that is a mentality that we have in this country, in this world today. But that is a misconception. Matter of fact, there's three misconceptions that I want to cover with you guys this morning. Number one is having more things will make me more happy. Having more things will make me more happy. If you guys have not had an opportunity to study the Happy Series from Andy Stanley, I highly encourage you guys to check that out. Get with your small group leader. Tell them, hey, let's do this series next time. It is awesome. Uh, but in that series, Andy Stanley does a great job. And he simply says, he just breaks it down. And he says, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? And his response is, nothing. Nothing makes me happy. And then he breaks it down a little further and he says, no thing can make me happy. No thing. He breaks the word nothing down into no thing can make me happy. He goes on to explain that happiness is more about the who than the what. In describing the what, he says a happy what always leads to a happy what else. 
right? I mean, I thought it was good. It's a great message for us today, and I would highly encourage you guys to jump on that uh, in a small group setting. But the truth is, things, the more we have things and the more desire we have for things, it's really like sin in our life. It's happiness, but for a short period of time. It doesn't last long. It's finite. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it simply says, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it, which I'll volunteer if you need help with that. So what, is, what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Many of you guys may have heard this saying that says, When I first started working... I dreamed of a day that I would earn a salary that I'm now starving on. <laughs> I thought that was good right there. Um, John D. Rockefeller, you guys might have heard that name. A lot of young folks in here may not know that name. John D. Rockefeller uh, was the wealthiest man of his day. Matter of fact, uh, people suggest that in today's standards, he would be the wealthiest person in the history of mankind. Um, he was actually the first billionaire uh, in American dollars in history. And even him at his level, at the level in, of wealth that he had, made it very clear in a, sta- in a quote that he was quoted in saying, it is wrong to assume that men of immense, of immense wealth are always happy. This is a man that is far exceeding in that day and age, far exceeding anyone of today's wealth. And even he, even he recognized that <clears throat> wealth and money does not create happiness. Interestingly enough, that, that excerpt or that quote was actually taken from his Bible class uh, that he taught. So uh, that back in 1905. Henry Ford was another example. Henry Ford is quoted as saying, wealth is, is, is like happiness. They're never obtained directly. It comes as a byproduct of service. <clears throat> you guys know what this means. You guys, I'll give you a great example of this. How many of y'all have iPhones? Pretty good number, folks. Everyone else is a non-iPhone or an iPhone hater. Okay. Is it not true that we wait? Now, I'm not one of these people, but a lot of people are. They wait on bated breath to see the next iPhone 25 XST 5.0 coming out, and its release is coming. And as soon as it hits the market, we're like, man, this old Model 24 iPhone, It ain't worth it. It's junk, right? You were happy with it 10 minutes ago. And now that this new phone, this new Model 25 STX 5.0 comes out, you got to have it. And we're not happy with the old one anymore. I mean, you guys, what is the age now for kids to start carrying a cell phone? It's going down. It seems like it's going down every year, like 12 probably. is. I I was listening to this pastor that that was preaching on this topic, and he said, if you don't think that America is rich and wealthy, where else in the world do you have 12-year-olds carrying around a $1,000 bill in their back pocket? Think about that. It's, it's, go to schools. You teachers out there know this. I mean, they're having a, this is a big battle right now to put these things away because everybody has them. Everybody has them. The point is our happiness is only there until we find that next best thing. Nothing, no thing will make us more happy. Number two, having more things will make me feel more important. More important. The myth here is if I have money, 
I will be more important. It's what I own. My value bulls determine my value. More things equals higher status. Hey guys, Satan's favorite thing to celebrate is getting us to buy things we don't need with the money that we don't have to impress the people that we don't even like. Can I get an amen on that? Come on, folks. Wake up this morning. I mean, the world is pushing this agenda on us. Don't be, don't be lulled to sleep. I mean, they're pushing this agenda on us. I mean, it is, the, the marketing is worse than I've ever seen before, and the subliminal messages is, are, are more in our face than an old Ozzy Osbourne record played backwards, right? I mean, that used to take effort to try and hear that. Now, it is in our face, folks, and we need to be aware of it. It's not subtle anymore. It's right there in our face. Go to Google and search Name It. You will find on every other computer in your house that you live by, even ones that aren't even connected, will pop up ads, you know, that, that say, hey, you need this. You looked for it. You need this. Here it is on sale. You've got to have it. The world is forcing our young people today to believe that their success is directly related to the amount of stuff they have, like the TV shows that are in their face, keeping up with the whoever's, Right? I mean, these people contribute nothing at all that I know of or I can point to in society, but there is a TV show that is all about just keeping up with them and the stuff they have and why it's so cool to have it. It's poisoning our young generation today, and the entire show is simply about that. If you go to the Internet today and you search, just go up to your news feed, and there's one of those keeping up with people on there every single day. The generation of college graduates are coming into the workplace. I see this every day. I see it in my job every day. People are coming to the, to the table of an interview uh, with expectations. And status is very high on their list. Almost higher than money in some cases. A recent poll of 2,000 people, it was a Thermosoft survey actually, found that the average Americans, this is, you're going to be shocked, the average American's ideal version or vision of being successful, get this, is when they are married with two children and earning $147,000 from their stay-at-home job that only makes them work up to 31 hours a week and rewards them with five weeks of vacation. Sign me up, Right? That's the vision of what our society is saying. That's success. That's important. When you hit that, you're important. You've made it. If we go to the Bible, Luke 12, uh, 15, it says, Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Defend yourself against this attack by basing your self-esteem or your self-worth on Jesus' words, not on the internet, or not keeping up with the whoever's. You guys have always, you've heard this old one, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, well, the one who has the most toys, yeah, he dies too. <laughs> so the more, no things can make me more happy, right? No things can make me more happy. No things can make me feel more important. These two are false, and the third one is false as well. Having more things will make me more secure, you guys have all heard it. If I could just get to that financial independence, I would be set. I would be secure. Financial security. 
The fact is exactly the opposite here. The more you have, the more you have to lose. The more time you put into maintaining it, the more money you spend to insure it so that nobody will take it from you. America spends $20 billion on home security in this country, on home security systems. Now, before you jump on me and say, well, that's not to protect my stuff. That's to protect me and my family. Is that right? Well, then don't turn it on when you leave the house. Why do you turn it on when you leave the house then, if that's true? It's, it's, it's a fact. When I grew up in Florida, this is way back in the day, um, we didn't lock the doors. Heck, our door was open most nights. Windows were unlocked. Matter of fact, my mom, to this day, she's watching. My mom leaves her purse in the car with the car unlocked about every night, um, almost to a fault. But the truth is, her security, she's not wrapped up in this. And thank God she has instilled some of this in me that the stuff doesn't really matter. Her security is in Jesus. Her security is in her faith that no matter what, it's nothing to do with this material goods. And she does not care or worry about that almost to a fault we have to get on her a little bit sometimes because it's it's almost where she just does not doesn't bother her a bit proverbs 23 says don't wear yourself out trying to get rich don't wear yourself out trying to get rich because wealth can vanish in the wink of an eye it can seem to grow wings and fly away right (laughs) we all can attest to that Job has a good way of putting it. He says it bluntly. Job was one of the wealthiest men of his day. And and he says it very clearly. He says, have I put my trust in money or felt secure because of my gold? If so, it would mean that I had denied God in heaven. Look, guys, security, true security is in our faith that Christ, the Lord Almighty, is going to take care of us regardless. So no thing can make me happy, no thing, nothing can make me more important, and really nothing, no things are going to make me more secure. So how do we say, nope, not today, Satan, when it comes to materialism? I mean, in other words, how do we live in this consumer-driven world? We are all consumers in this consumer-driven culture. How do we repel that desire, the real desire that kind of boils up in our, in our gut and, and forces us to want more. If you guys would turn, this, this verse I don't believe is in the notes, but it, if you would turn your Bibles to James 4, chapter uh, 4, verse 2 through 3, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but, but James, the son of Je- or the brother of Jesus, was, uh, he puts it to you now. I mean, he puts it right in your face. <clears throat> in in Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You want what you don't have and kill to get it. Some translations there even use the word murder. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now that seems like, well, all I've got to do is ask God for it. I'll get everything I want, right? Go on with what he says in verse verse 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what what will give you pleasure. And Pastor Andrew talked about that last week. So how do we fight these desires? How do we fight against these weapons 
and this desire that boils up inside of us. Well, this morning, I want you guys to use your note cards. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in that little packet that our ushers give you, there is a note card attached to it. I hope that you guys know that, and I hope you will break them out this morning and take these notes. I'm going to give you four things, four commitments that I want you to keep in front of you, and I want them to be at your fingertips to when you are getting that feeling of desire that you will turn to them, read through those four, and you will just say, I'm not going to I'm going to commit to these four things, and maybe it'll help you defend against this scheme. Number one, I will resist comparing. I will resist comparing. And jot next to that one, Galatians 6, 4. And it says, each person should judge his own actions and not compare himself to others. Guys, look around. If you look around in this room, I promise you that somebody has a version of whatever it is that's a little better than what you have. It doesn't take long. But marketing companies play on this. Marketing companies know that all they have to do is get you to compare. And I'll give you an example of what I compare with. Okay, uh, last week or this week, Friday, Valentine's Day. We're going to go out to dinner. Take my wife out to dinner. We're going to Goldsboro, the big town of Goldsboro. We're going to go get something nice to eat. So we, go, we roll up there to this restaurant. I won't mention the name. Now I roll up in there, and I'm like, whoa. Right away, my eyes are drawn to, and you guys are not going to believe me. I should have took a picture of it. Lamborghini in the parking lot in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Promise you. And I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. I'm rolling up here in an old beat-up pickup truck. And this dude's got a Lambo, right? I mean, they're driving a Lamborghini in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Now, that's saying something right there. I think all the restaurants in Raleigh must have been full. I don't know. But anyway, we were, you, know, you instantly want to compare. You're like, man, I thought I had it pretty good until I saw that. Man, that's bad, you know? Lamborghini in Goldsboro is crazy. The best of anything only lasts until you compare it to the next best thing. It's the comparison trap. It is the comparison trap that will grab a hold of you and does not let go. If we want to stop the devil, if we want to outsmart him, stop comparing. We are possessed by our possessions. And the devil knows all he needs to do is show us something that we don't have and somebody else has, and we instantly compare and desire. Resist comparing. Number two. I will rejoice in what I have. I will rejoice in what I have. Write down next to that one, Ecclesiastes 6.9 and Hebrews 13. Ecclesiastes 6.9, the New Living Translation says, Enjoy what you have rather than desire, desiring what you don't have. The New Testament writer said it this way, Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. The truth is, we all in this room are rich. In biblical terms, the biblical value of rich just simply meant that we have an abundance. That was their, that's what the biblical meaning of rich. If you're wondering to yourself, I don't feel like I'm rich. If you took a vacation this, week, this year or last year, you're rich. You have an abundance. That's all it means. In 1 Timothy, <clears throat> Paul is writing to this to Timothy, his student, and he gives it to him very clearly, and he gives it to him as a warning, and he gives it to him as a vision for his church, and it is a vision for our church here today. And it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
godliness plus contentment equals great gain. If I want great gain, if I want to have great things, if I want more in my life, I need to start with godliness. And and godliness simply means a lifestyle pleasing to God. Then I need to add contentment, which simply means that it's being at ease with where I am and what I have right now. Then I will have more than I'll ever know what to do with because that's where great gain comes from. Paul goes on to say, if we, for we brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich, and here's the temptation trap, the comparison trap, those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is the enemy of God. It's not the money part that he's concerned about. It's the love of money. If you aren't grateful for what you got, You won't be grateful for what you get. Signed, contentment. God made possessions to be used, not loved. God made people to be loved, not used. Pastor Jim posted that this week on Facebook. I'm like, I'm adding that right there. That's good right there. Let me read it again. God made possessions to be used, not loved. God made people to be loved, not used. Avoid the trap. Resist comparing. Rejoice in what you have. And number three, Return the tithe to God. Now, church, if this is your first Sunday with us, we do not talk about money uh, every week. Matter of fact, we rarely talk about money, but I felt it was important to add this in here. When we're talking about wanting more in our lives, it's very clear in the scriptures what we need to do. We need to return the tithe. And that tithe, the word tithe means a tenth. Deuteronomy 14 is what you need to put next to that one. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Several years ago, I heard a message on tithing, and I was like many of you, maybe, uh, that felt like, yeah, when I got a little extra cash, I'll drop some in the plate when it comes by. That was kind of my mode. That was kind of the way I operated uh, in regards to tithes. I heard our pastor at the bridge, um, this is several years ago, He came out with a series, and he talked about this, and I thought, man, you know what? He kept saying, test God. Put it to the test. Try it. Try it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. And I cannot tell you how it's changed my life personally. The truth is, God owns all of it. God owns all of it. It's all His, 100% His. But I can tell you, when when you give of that 10%, that 10, that first 10, God blesses you. That 90% is more than what you'll know what to do with. I promise you that. If you look in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it and you will need to buy a storage unit to hold it all. (laughs) Just kidding. 
I will, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines and your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. He's telling us right there, folks, test me on it. Test me. Satan does not want us to know that. True living begins with giving. And if you want the antidote to materialism, it's easy. It's giving. Giving is the antidote to materialism. Bottom line, guys, when you trust God, when you trust that God can really do more with your money than you can, that's when we really truly put Him first in our lives. Let me challenge you on this, and I'm going to be done with talking about the money part. If you're not giving, start. If you are giving, give freely and do it with a smile on your face. And I promise you, you will see God's work in your life when we truly trust Him. And again, it's not about the money. It's about our heart and where our heart is. So we're going to resist. We're going to rejoice in what we have. We're going to return the tithe. And the fourth R, because I like to keep it all R's so you guys will remember it. The fourth R is refocus on eternal values. Refocus on eternal values. Colossians 3 is where you need to write next to that one. And I don't know of a better illustration, and I was going to bring the, the rope with, but you guys remember when Pastor Andrew a couple months ago had the rope out here, and he drug it all the way out, and the rope kind of ran out the door, and he was holding the end of the rope, and about that much of it was taped up, and he said, this is our life, this is eternity, but yet we focus on all this. Well, Andrew, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell on him, he stole that from Francis Chan. That wasn't his idea, all right? No, I don't think he claimed it to be, but I just want to clarify, that was Francis Chan. But anyway... That example, that illustration shows that, man, we soak up and we just pour into all of our worries and all of our struggles and all of our pain and all this stuff we worry about is wrapped up into this part of the rope, this little end piece of the rope. Eternity runs on forever, and we need to start focusing on eternal values. Colossians 3 says, don't shuffle along with your eyes to the ground. I love the way that says, absorbed with things that are just right here in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ because that's where the action is. See, things from his perspective. We cannot seem to get this concept into our heads that our true home isn't here on earth. We are just passing through. We are visiting here. Our obsessions are with our possessions because we don't focus on the eternal values. Now, we may dip into them once a week on Sunday morning if we're really inspired, but we quickly fall right back into this trap of life and we get caught up thinking that all of this stuff in our life really matters. Hear me on this, church. When we, we may not be forging bronze statues to worship, but we are consuming, we are collecting material items and placing them on altars in our homes, and we don't even know it. We are building altars to our possessions and kneeling with our backs to God, and the devil himself is behind the counter offering us the next best thing that we need in our lives. It's idolatry. Matthew 6, 24 says no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Church, as, as we start to close, what if we truly did seek out more? You know, what if, what if that commercial was true in our lives and we said, I want more, but I want more in my relationship with God. I, I want more in my relationship with my family. What if, what if the more was, I want more in my spiritual life. What if we started chasing God like we chase our careers, our success, our promotion, our next dollar? What would it look like, church, if we woke up each morning and just praised God for what we have? Praise God for another day on this earth to be good stewards of what he has entrusted to us in our little sphere of the world and just praise him for what we have. Church, I challenge myself not to let the devil have his way in my life with the desire to want more of the things that are just going to rot away on this earth. Last thing here I want you to think about is what if Jesus came back this afternoon and walked into your home while the Daytona 500's on and you're watching it on a 70-inch flat-screen TV, surround sound, and all that stuff. And Jesus walked into the house and said two words, follow me, follow me. Your reaction to that question right there says a lot about how you feel about possessions. Your response to that would say a lot about how you feel about possessions. But the truth is, Jesus is asking us right now, right now today, follow me. Follow me. I pray that I can resist comparing. I pray that I can resist rejoice in what I have and what he's entrusted me with. I pray that I will have enough courage and, the, and, and I will return that tithe religiously every time I get a chance, the first of my fruits. I pray that I will start to refocus on eternal values. And we, when we do, we're telling the enemy, nope, you can't have it your way. You can't have it your way. Not today, Satan. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for all that you have provided us. Lord, we are wealthy beyond what we can imagine. You have blessed us with a sphere of influence, Lord, that, that we are just, we, we are, we, you entrusted it to us, Lord. I pray that we can, we can take all of these things and fight against the, the schemes of the devil himself. Because, Lord, we believe that you are almighty. In the end of the day, Lord, we know, the, we know the win is in you. We know that you have victory, and we can have victory if we would just trust you in our lives. Lord, we just ask for your blessings as this church leaves this building. And, Lord, I ask that we take it from these walls, outside of these walls, to the streets, to our jobs, to our work, to our homes. Lord, we just love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.